Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Episode number 96. Our Man Lake Placid with Michelle Bagrowski. Welcome to the pursuit of the perfect race. I'm Coach Terry Wilson, and with each episode, I bring stories of athletes to you that share their experiences at races in order for you to learn how to have your perfect race. We'll hear stories from athletes of all ages, abilities, and races of all distances. So regardless of where you fit in, there's something in there for you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the pursuit begin. And welcome back to the pursuit of the perfect race. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with my friend Michelle Bagrowski about her recent race experience at Ironman Lake Placid in beautiful upstate New York. This race took place on July 22nd, 2018, with the temperature being 46 and rising to 79, where the water temperature was 74 degrees. Also, notable to mention about this year's race experience was it was pouring rain with some hail on the bike ride. Welcome to the show, Michelle. I look forward to hearing about your race experience at Lake Placid. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. So what made you want to do this race? Um, I think it's a lot of race envy. My friends signed up. And so I said, sure. I, I, uh, my good friend really wanted a race for her first Ironman that had a good swim, a good clear swim. And, and we've heard Lake Placid near Lake was beautiful. Um, so we signed up for the race really. I mean, I knew it was hilly, and but I really just didn't know what I was getting myself into. But it was just one of those things where I'm willing to challenge myself and see where it can take me. Okay. So how was your training going into this race? Um, I really, I, I had a good training cycle. I was working with um, Jeffrey Klein from Daily Fit Book. And I think when we started way back in January working with him, and, and I really think I did a good job of training and staying on my training schedule. I had a few family hiccups here and there, which generally happens quite a bit with my life. And But I really stuck to it. And I think I probably hit a good 90 to 95% of my training schedule. So it's probably one of the best years I've had training so far that I felt like I was sticking to my training plan. Um, and I, I felt like I did a good job until I got to the race. <laughs> okay. Now going into this race, did you get injured at all? Um, I didn't. I've had, I've always had just some issues with muscles and, and things in my legs, but I see a, a myofascial release person who does a lot of stretching and, and she generally keeps me running. So whenever I have aches or pains with that, I go see her and, and generally I can keep it under control. So I didn't have any injuries. I didn't have to take a lot of them off at any point during my training, which is probably a first for me. Um, to be honest with you, I generally end up with some kind of leg issues of some sort, but I felt like I did a good job of going to see my, my person to stretch me out every so often just to keep it intact. So, okay. Now going into this race, what was your longest swim, bike and runs? Um, my longest bike was a hundred miles and I, I actually did that in, um, Kentucky at horsey hundred, which is a really hilly area. I don't have a lot of hills where I live, so I wanted to get some hills in. Um, my longest swim was probably a 4,200 yard swim, maybe a 38. Um, I have a limited pool access where I live, so that was my biggest struggle, but swimming is probably my easiest part of the triathlon. So I wasn't too worried about that. And I did a couple of marathons in April and May. And then kind of backed my training down. So in April and May, I had two marathons that I did. And then at that point, after that, my longest marathon or my longest run was probably 15 or 16 miles. Okay. Um, so you're pretty prepared. I felt like I was, yes. Okay. Yep. Now, what marathons did you do? Uh, Glass City in Toledo, Ohio, and the Flying Pig in Cincinnati. Wow. The Flying Pig is and supposed to be a good race. Yeah. And they're two weeks away. So I did Glass City and then two weeks later, Flying Pig. So 
Um, and I actually had PRs at both of them. I PR'd at Glass City, and then I turned around and PR'd at, at Cincinnati, and that's it for Cincinnati Heaving Hills. But the Flying Pig is my favorite race. The crowd support is amazing, and it's just beautiful down there. So, Wow. In training, yeah. did you do a lot of bricks? Um, I did. Every weekend was pretty much some kind of a bike with a run afterwards. My longest brick was probably a six-hour bike with a one-hour run. So it wasn't an extremely long run afterwards. Um, but I generally felt like when I got to the run that I felt strong. I never really felt like I was struggling, which was nice because in the past I've had that issue where I'd get to the run and I didn't want to run at all. But I generally felt like I'd get to the run and, and have a good strong run afterwards. Okay. Now, in training, were you doing a lot of strength training? Um, I didn't do a ton every, I would say probably maybe once a week, he had some kind of strength training on my training plan and I would do it. I'm just not, I'm not a very strong person and I struggle with a lot of the strength training moves. I wish I would have done more. Um, I know last winter I kept saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start doing it. And I never really got into it as much as I wish I would have. And I feel like that's always been my downfall. I always say I'm going to work on it in the winter so that I, when I get to the training season, those strength training moves aren't as hard and I just, I don't. Okay. Now, what kind of nutrition were you using in training? Um, I use F2C, which is a, it's kind of a newer training product and, and um, Daily Fitbook has a partnership with them and it's supposed to keep you from raising your blood sugar. I'm not keto and I'm not low carb, but I try to eat that way. I, I'm trying to lower the inflammation in my body and things like that. And so I try to keep um, the sugar spikes down. I try to get sugar out of my diet as much as possible. Not very good at it, but I'm trying. <laughs> and so F2C is not meant to spike your blood sugar. So I would use that a lot. And I really like the taste. I could never do you can, you can was not the, ta- I'm a very big taste and texture person and I couldn't do that, but the F2C has worked really well. So I, I use that. Um, and then I supplement on the bike with, um, some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches just because I have to have something more. Okay. Um, and those seem to work really well. I don't usually have too much of an issue with nutrition, so. Okay. Meaning uh, I don't, I don't. Okay. Now if we take a look at your training over the past 18 weeks before the race, what was the most hours that you trained in one week? Um, probably no more than 13 to 15, I would say. Um, I'm, my schedule is generally pretty big. So when he had me do, you know, a long week, a weekend, I would maybe have seven hours of a bike run brick at the most, and then maybe a two or three hour run. And then during the week, it was more like one hour sessions or 45 minute sessions. So it really was probably never more than 15, I would say. Okay. Now, were there any days where you just mentally didn't want to train? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I feel like I go in cycles or waves of funk. Like I get into this funk where I'm just, I can't do this. And my, my work schedule is kind of off and on busy. And so sometimes I would just get so stressed out and there were days I just didn't want to train in it. And to be honest with you, I'm not an early morning person. I don't want to get up at five or 4 a.m. to do a training session. Um, so generally I would have to do it at, at nine or 10 o'clock at night, which I know for a lot of people is past bedtime, but for me, it's my awake time. Um, and but when you work all day and then you have the stresses of work and then you get home to turn around and put on your workout clothes for a 9 p.m. or a 10 p.m. run session, sometimes it was a real big struggle, <laughs> a very big struggle for me. Okay. Now, were there any dark places in training where you just kind of like got emotional because you thought it was too much for you? Yeah. Um, when we went down to Horsey 100, um, we went down there with a couple friends and, and a lot of my friends are faster than me or a better hill climber than me. Um, but I went down with a friend who's pretty consistent about the same level as me. And, um, when we rode horsey hundred, it was in Kentucky and it was one of the hottest weekends of the year. Humidity. It was about a hundred degrees with a real field temperature of 105, which is hot for me. I live in Ohio. It's not, it's not super hot here all the time. Um, and the heat wore on me. I, by about mile 20 of the hundred miles, I, I couldn't climb hills. I was walking hills and I was so upset with myself because the friend that is usually pretty consistent with me was just flying up the hills and was way ahead of me. And, and they didn't leave me behind, but they would wait for me at the next rest station. And it's just one of those things when you're out there alone, I, I was so upset because it really was my one chance to ride hills before, before Placid. And I, I couldn't do it. I had some mechanicals. I just, I wasn't feeling good that weekend. And I know that there were a lot of things that we can, that kind of contributed to that. And I don't think that that's, I don't think my ability to climb hills or to ride my bike was really on point that week. And it just wasn't there. I had some other struggles, but seeing that and feeling that really got me down. And I, I had a, a mental breakdown that night after that ride and they all went to ride on Sunday and I decided to just go out for a run because I, I didn't think I could do it again. I just didn't want to get back on my bike. 
other struggles? I'm sorry, say that again. What kind of other struggles were you talking about? Um, well, I was trying, I was trying really hard to stick to my diet. And so for about two weeks, I really had, but I think because I was kind of transitioning to trying to eat less carbs, my body really wasn't prepared to go out and ride a hundred miles with having, you know, changed my diet in the last two weeks. I wish I would have spent time over the winter changing my diet, um, so that I wasn't trying to change it at that point in time in my training cycle. It was just a bad idea. Um, and so I really went down to that weekend trying not to eat a ton of carbs and, it was a bad idea, a really bad idea on my part. Um, and I had some mechanical issues. I had, um, I couldn't get my bike to switch into my big chain ring without kind of like backpedaling and then getting my, my chain to flip onto my big chain ring. So, um, I, they tried to fix my bike before I went and it just didn't seem to work. I stopped at a couple um, mechanics on the way during the hundred mile ride and they couldn't seem to get it. So it seemed like every time I was trying to shift, it just wouldn't pull it into the big chain ring when I was going downhills. And it was just completely frustrating to me. Wow. So what workouts did you do in training that gave you the confidence to go into Lake Placid prepared? Um, most of the time it was the bricks just because I felt like if I could ride my bike and then get off my bike and run and feel strong, um, that was a good thing. I also, I, again, I, I live in flatland, there are no hills. So whenever I had to do hill repeats for running, I actually enjoyed them. I'm not a person that enjoys hills. So for me to say I enjoyed running up a hill (laughs) is a pretty big thing. And so when we did hill repeats on the run, I'm like, wow, I really feel different. I feel strong. And I think it's because I was using different muscles and I, and I felt like I could run up the hills. And and when I got done, I I actually enjoyed the workout because it was something different. I wasn't just running on flat land for two hours. So. Right. Now, when you're not training, racing or traveling, what are you doing? Um, I'm a school administrator. I'm a curriculum director. So that's my full-time job. And then I also run an after-school program for at-risk teens. And so that's another 20, 30 hours a week. So I generally, it's kind of like having a full-time job and a half-time job. I leave at 6 a.m. and I come home sometimes 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Um, I have three kids, two of which are in travel soccer on different teams. So we're always going to soccer games or soccer practices. Um, We don't live in the town where my school is or where our soccer practices are. So when I, when we go somewhere for the day, I pack the entire day from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. Because they, if they have soccer practice, I'm running around their soccer field. If they have a soccer game, I might have my trainer in the parking lot watching the game or practicing. Um, And so I'm generally on the run or on the go all the time. Um, My husband works bank hours, which is nice, but he also works in a different town than we are all in. So he's not always there either. So I'm gone a lot. <laughs> wow. So you have quite a bit on your plate. How do you balance life, work, and training all at the same time? Um, I'm not really sure some days. I feel like I'm just really good at planning ahead. Like I said, if if I know I have a bike ride that day and I'm not going to get home until late and I'm not going to be able to do it when I get home, I pack everything in my car. And I generally pack the night before and make sure I have all my equipment Um I really just have to plan around everything that's going on and I, I, I list everything on the calendar and I make sure I know when everything is and, and I try to fit my run or summer bike in wherever I can. And generally it's usually I have 45 minutes right here and that's when I have to do it. And I really just have to make the effort to not mess around and miss that time frame because if I miss the time frame, I miss my workout. Um, and so I just really have to be good at planning those those minutes. I can't just say, oh, I have a run tonight and I plan to do it. I, I have to know that from 6.15 to 7 o'clock is when I have time to do my run and I have to be there and I have to be on time. Um, so it just gets scheduled into my day. It really does. And my kids know when we leave in the morning what our exact schedule is and they know that I have to be on it. My family has been really good at supporting me. My husband has been a huge support. He's always not complained about me getting up at 5 a.m. on the weekends to go do my long ride. He doesn't complain about having to take care of the kids when he does. And, and sometimes I have to have him come pick up the kids because I'm still doing a workout. So it, they've just been super helpful. And it's just kind of like my, my life is chaos all the time and I'm just used to it. That's that's just how it works out for me. Okay. Now, could you be where you are in the sport without his support? Oh, definitely not. I, you know, I can't imagine how a single parent does it because I I I would definitely need him to take care of the kids all the time. My oldest daughter is getting that age where I can leave her alone with the two younger ones sometimes, but I, I don't want to do that all the time. And so when he's able to be here and, and be around when I'm not around, um, it definitely gives them someone else to depend on. And I, I just can't imagine trying to keep up with my daily schedule without a partner or someone um, there with me. And I, I'm sure I can make it work because I've always just kind of figured out how to make things work, but I wouldn't want to. 
it would be extremely hard. Okay. Now, as far as going into this race, is this your first time tackling the full distance? No, I've done Maryland in 2016, which it really wasn't a full because the swim got canceled and the bike shortened. I did Chattanooga last year. Um, and I have also, I also did my tie last year, which is Michigan titanium, which is not an Ironman brand. So I've done three fulls, two, which were actually fulls. Um, so no, this was my fourth attempt at it, a full distance. Okay. Attempt. So you're actually yes. thinking the entire 140.6 miles. Yes. Okay. Now, how was your taper going into this race? Um, we did kind of, a. am trying to think I did. Grand Rapids, which was in early June. And then we did kind of a build up again. And then I did a three weeks beforehand. We did a, no, maybe four weeks beforehand, a really strong week. And then he backed off for one week. And then I had another strong week. And then we had two weeks of taper. So really two weeks of pretty major taper um, going into it. I was also on vacation the week before. Um, so that kind of worked into it. So it was kind of like a, you work really hard, you take a small break and then you work really hard and then you taper. So it was a little bit of an extended taper, um, in that sense. Okay. Now I know you live in Ohio and did you drive up to Lake Placid? Or uh, did you for the race? We drove. Yeah. It's about, it's supposed to be about 10 hours, but by the time you make stops and things like that, it took us about 11 and 11 and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, when did y'all start traveling to the race? We left Thursday morning. So we left Thursday morning at about 5.30 in the morning. And we got there with minutes to spare to check in at 5 o'clock. <laughs> wow. So we literally were the last people in the door to check in on Thursday because I wanted to get that out of the way on Thursday if possible. And then um, Friday we had a little bit less of a busy, crazy day. So Okay. Where did y'all stay at? Um, the Hampton Inn, which is right next door to the swim start. So it's right there, which is the perfect place to stay. Honestly, if you don't want to be traveling around or driving around town all the time, it's kind of busy in that town. The town is pretty small, um, in the sense that there's not a lot of room on the streets. So it was nice to be able to just walk. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everywhere we needed to go. All right. Now, was that hotel expensive? It was. There were four of us staying in a room, um, and I think for four nights it was just a little over two thousand. So it was about wow. five hundred. Yeah, it was. It was about five hundred dollars a person. So I think I paid five hundred and eighty dollars, I believe, with all the taxes and stuff. Um, so it was really expensive, but I think it was worth it to me just because, you know, when we when we had to take our bikes to transition, we just walked them down there. When we needed to take our tra- our special needs bags and our T1 and T2 bag. I mean, we were just walking things. And then the morning of the race, we went down, dropped our special needs bags off, came back upstairs, used our own bathroom, took our own time in our, in our room to put our wetsuits on. And then we just literally walked to the swim start. And that's super nice not to have the stress of having to find a parking spot on the morning and get into town. And it, it, it made it so much easier. Okay. Now, whenever you got to the check-in and getting your bike checked in and all that fun stuff. How was that process for you? Um, it was, it was generally pretty easy. They're really well organized there. Like I said, we were the last ones to check in on Thursday. So they let us in the door and then shut the doors behind us. And and we really moved through the line quickly because it was pretty empty by that point because people were done checking in, um, racking our bike. We actually got in line right before transition opened because we just wanted to take our bikes, drop them off and be done before the day got hot. Cause it was actually hot, really hot the two days before the race. Um, we didn't want to stand outside in the sun. As you can see, I still got sunburned. <laughs> um, and so 
we got in line right before it opened, I think, um, at, I want to say it was noon, you know, it was 10 a.m., 10 a.m. So we got in line about 9.45. And then as soon as it opened, we were able to rack our bikes, check in and be done with that process. So we tried to avoid the crowds, I think, as much as possible, just because it's it's so hectic and it's so hot. Um, and it was just easier just to go back to our hotel and relax for a little while. Cause I really feel like that's, that's where I get my energy from is not having to do all the things that happen in town the days before the race. That makes sense. Now, as far as getting something in, like as far as nutrition goes the day before the race, were you wanting to get certain meals in or watch what you ate the day before the race? What does that look like for you? I probably should have, but I don't, I, we really didn't. I, I'm not, I, I'm a really horrible eater. I have a bad, a bad dietary habit. I don't eat any vegetables. I don't eat any fruit, like none at all. Um, so burgers and pizza are kind of my thing, which is not good, especially. And that's why I was trying to change my diet before and it just didn't happen. Um, so I have burgers, we have pizza, I mean, all the basic carbs that are horrible for you. So we really ate at different restaurants uptown. Um, and they were all pretty good about accommodating what we needed. And, and I really, I like, I generally don't have, um, any problems with different types of food per se, like none of them make me sick. And I'm not too worried about eating something the day before a race other than maybe Mexican or Chinese or something like that. But, um, and I love that food. I just choose to avoid it. So as long as I eat the basics, you know, burgers or pizza, I'm usually pretty good. Okay. Now, as far as getting your, all your bags laid out a certain way and putting different things in your bags, what are you putting in all of your bags? Um, after my first fall, I learned that less is more. <laughs> the more you have, the more it, it is, the more stress you have going through them and trying to pick what you need. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't put a lot in my bags this year and I didn't even use the things I did put in. So my transition, my transition one bag is really just um, putting on my cycling jersey and my cycling shoes and my helmet and my sunglasses and that's it. And I tried to stuff things I, I put things on my bike that morning so my my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were already on my bike and then my nutrition bottles were already on my bike and so I really just went into transition put my top on um put my shoes on put my helmet on put my sunglasses on and I was out and my transition time was real, still really long but that's because you have to run it's a, a long distance from the swim to transition so um it was pretty long and transition's very crowded by the time I get out of the swim Transition two, I actually do kind of a full change just because I'm soaking wet and I I'm I'm I don't like to run and chafe because I generally chafe a lot. Um, so I do a full change in transition two, so a whole gamut of clothes. And but again, my nutrition is is stuffed in my back pocket already. I try to make sure all the little things are already on my my clothes, so I don't have to worry about that stuff. And I put a visor on my special needs bags are really just a switch out of nutrition. So on my bike, I just have an, another bottle of F2C and it was frozen the night before, or at least super cold the night before. And so by the time I got to special needs, it was still somewhat cold. And I just put one bottle in the bag and took one bottle out, um, and grabbed a little extra lube and went on my way. So that was all I had in special needs for bike. My special needs run bag had a long sleeve shirt in case I was cold, a visor light, and um, another set of nutrition to switch out. And that's really it. And I, I honestly, I didn't take the long sleeve shirt. I didn't take the visor or the visor light. I did grab my nutrition, but I never ate it. So I probably could have skipped run special needs altogether, but I actually didn't make it much farther than special needs anyway. So it didn't really matter. Okay. Now, as far as getting in bed the night before the race, what time did you try to get in bed? Um, we were in bed by eight o'clock. I don't think I fell asleep until around 10. I, I'm a late night person. I'm usually up till midnight or one in the morning. And so for me to go to bed at eight o'clock is pretty hard. Um, but I, I was in and out of sleep until 10 o'clock and then 10 o'clock is about when I fell asleep. So we really do try to get a full night's sleep the night before. And I sleep pretty well. Usually, um, I, I didn't wake up then between 10 until my alarm went off at four o'clock. Okay. Now you wake up on the morning of the race. What's your race day morning ritual look like? Um, it's much easier when your hotel is super close. So we got up, put our, our outfits on that we were wearing for the swim. Um, I had, I actually put on my, my tri tats the night before and they generally are okay as long as they're dry before you fall asleep. So my tattoos were already on. Uh, I had two pop tarts, super healthy, um, and drank a partial bottle of water. We walked down to transition, put all of our things in our transition bag that we needed to put in. Cause we add the nutrition the morning of, and then we walked back to our room. 
into the bathroom, put on our, our wetsuits and walk down to the swim start. So it seemed like we got up super early for all that. But by the time you walk down to transition and get everything and in Lake Placid, you have to take your special needs bags to special needs. So you're dropping things off in transition, but then you have to walk up a hill to get to bike special needs to drop that. And then you walk back past our hotel, back towards special needs on the run, which is uh, it's about a quarter mile walk to drop your special needs off. So the special needs bags were not super far, but they were far enough away that it was a decent walk to drop those things off. So it took a little bit of time. Um, one of my friends was missing her transition bag. Someone had taken them off the rack and they were missing. So it took us a, a little bit to take care of that. So by the time we got back to the room to put on our wetsuits, it was probably just about enough time to get down for the warm up swim. Okay. Now, how much calories per hour are you trying to get on the bike ride? I generally do a little less than what most people recommend. My coach is really in the mindset that most people overeat. So my F2C bottle on my bike, I, I use two bottles total and it's a concentrate. So those bottles each have about 400 calories in. So between the F2C, it's about 800 calories of F2C. Um, and then I do two peanut butter jelly sandwiches. So those are another 210 calories, I think. So it's close to 1,200 on the bike. But keep in mind, I'm I'm a back of the packer. So my bike took me almost nine hours, which is ridiculous. But <laughs> that's how long it took me because of the hills. So 1,200 calories in, in nine hours is not a lot compared to what some people try to eat. So you're getting about 150 an hour or so? Yeah, that's about right. Okay. Um, when I get to the run, I, I don't eat as much. By that time, I usually can't stomach solid food. I try to drink F2C, and that, that bottle had about 200 calories in it, and then I kind of eat off the course based on feel. Um, I have Coke. I have chicken broth, whatever I feel like eating at that point because I generally can't keep a whole lot down by that point. Right. Now, what was your mindset going into this race? Um, I really actually felt pretty confident in the beginning. I knew I was going to be chasing the cutoffs for all of it because, because I am from pretty flat land. I knew that the the hills would be challenging. We drove the bike course on Friday. So I knew about what it was going to be like. I knew where we were turning and all that, but I knew um, that the hills would, would take a lot of my time that I was going to be one of the last few people off the bike. Um, but I, I was prepared for that. I really thought based on my training that I could make this one. I, I knew I would make this one. I have no problem with the swim. Um, and I actually felt like my swim was much better than I expected it to be. The bike course was about where I thought it would be. Um, and so I really was kind of prepared to chase those cutoffs all day. I was worried about the bike cutoff more than I was worried about the run. I thought if once I got to the run that I would be okay. Um, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. I knew I would probably be finishing in the last hour of the race, but I really felt like once I got out there, I would be okay. I, my training was pretty where I thought it would be. So, okay. Now you're down there doing a warm up swim and then you get out and you're getting into your headspace to get into the race and you're lined up because this is a rolling start, right? Yes. Okay. So you're about to get in the water. How are you feeling at that point in time? Um, I was pretty nervous just because right before we lined up for the swim start, you could see the dark clouds rolling in. <laughs> um, I knew weather was going to impact me tremendously because it, it's always going to, if it's windy or if it's raining, especially when you're terrified of hills and things like that. So as I see the dark clouds rolling in, I was kind of getting nervous. Um, and I, even though I'm a good swimmer, I still, I don't want to say I have panic attacks, but swimming can still be very scary, even though you're a good swimmer because other good swimmers don't have a problem with running you over or anything like that. So um, I was pretty nervous getting into the swim. It's probably the most nervous I've felt before a full, which is, I guess I wasn't expecting to feel as nervous. I thought I would, my first full, I was just kind of like at peace with whatever happened. And then after that, I, I knew I could do it. And I, so I, I don't think I had nerves, but I, I really knew that Lake Placid was going to be a challenge for me. So it was probably the most nervous I felt before a full race before. Okay. Now, you get into the swim. How does this first loop go for you? Um, I really committed myself to being on the yellow cable. So there's a yellow cable that kind of runs the whole swim course. I know I'm not great at sighting, and I know sighting takes a lot of my time on the swim. So I was prepared to swim the yellow cable, regardless of what other people were doing around me. Um, and so I, I got in right away, found the yellow cable, and, and I stuck to it as much as I possibly could. I was a little disappointed in the amount of people that seated themselves faster because you choose your seed time 
Um, I chose the 111 to 120 because I knew that's about where I would swim. And there were people that were not only seating themselves in the fast time, but also choosing to be on the yellow cable. I guess if they want to seat themselves fast, that's fine. But if they're not prepared to swim that speed or they're not prepared to swim confidently, then they should probably move off the yellow cable because there were people on the yellow cable that were barely moving or they were breaststroking or they were stopping every five seconds. And it, it was a little frustrating. It was probably the busiest swim I've ever had. The traffic was there the entire two loops. Um, I don't think I ever got away from traffic. There were very few spots where I didn't feel someone touching me at all times. Um, but I was prepared for that. I'm pretty confident swimmer. I don't mind if someone swims over me or grabs me or pushes me or whatever. Um, and I knew that if I just held my line that I would probably do better. I don't know that there was ever a time where I felt like I got into a rhythm of the swim because you were swimming four or five strokes and then someone was hitting you or punching you or pushing you. So, um, but I expected that I was ready for that. And I, being on the caper really did help when I got out of the first loop, cause you get out and you walk across the beach to your second loop. Um, when I saw my time, I was pretty ecstatic with it because it was faster than I've swam ever on any half Ironman before. So I hit the beach at about 36 minutes and generally my half is about 40. So I think being on the cable really helped me to stick to the actual course and um, not having to pick my head up, obviously helped my stroke a lot. So, okay. Now you get done with the swim. Did you take advantage of the wetsuit strippers? I did. Yep. I got out of the swim, looked at my time. I was super happy with my time. It was way unexpected to be. I was at a 116 and that was very unexpected for me. I thought I would finish about 120. Um, I used the wetsuit strippers. They handed it to me and there were tons of people cheering and crowd screaming and, and the wetsuit, wetsuit strippers were really, they knew what they were doing. They had it off quickly. And then I ran into transition. Okay. Now were the wetsuit strippers here in the sand again? Um, there is like a rug, they lay down a rug and it's, it's a pretty big rug, but by the time I got out of the water, it was already covered in sand. So you could see the rug, but you could also see tons of sand on top of it. So there was sand everywhere and I had sand all over me by the time I got to transition. Wow. So they put the wetsuit strippers in the sand and they basically made you a sugar cookie before you got on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, I was at Santa Rosa earlier this year, and they have a very steep boat ramp that you come out of, and their wetsuit strippers are actually on concrete about oh. halfway up the ramp. So that way they have the swimmers have time to get everything off their feet, off. and then they get to there. And I almost feel like they could do that here at Lake Placid because it's about a half a mile from oh, the yeah. swim out to transition. I mean, yes. they could even put the wetsuit strippers right there by the transition area. That's plenty of time for the actual sand to get off of their feet because mm -hmm. they rug the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yes, they do. And yep. then they could actually make it a little bit better, not make you a sugar cookie before you get onto the <laughs> bike ride. Yeah, that would absolutely help. I think when I got to transition to after my bike, the person helping me in the change tent said, you have sand all over your back. And I had no idea. I, I'm, you know, you just kind of ride your bike. So the sand was still there even after I got done with 112 miles on the bike. So it, it was really, really sandy getting out of the swim. Wow. So you get to transition. How does transition one go for you? Um, well, I get to transition and they kind of, to make it fair for everyone, they funnel you out and around the changing or the, the transition bag set up and then you funnel through the bags, you grab your bags and then into the changing tent. Um, the changing tent was super busy because I, my swim time is probably an average swim time. Um, it was busy, but there were plenty of people in there. They had lots of help. Their volunteers were great there. It was never understaffed. I don't think. And the volunteers helped me change quickly um, and got me out. They funnel you out through the other side of the tent and then all the way down to the other end of transition so that you have to run through all of the bikes. Um, they had people, pulling bikes and handing bikes to people at the end of the rows. But there was, there were so many people coming out that no one did that for me because there was just too many people coming out. So I ran to my bike, grabbed my bike, which probably took five extra seconds, six extra seconds. It's not a big deal. Um, and then you run out when you get out of transition, then there's a steep downhill and then a 90 degree turn. Actually, it's probably more like a 180 degree turn. You kind of go around, um, and then go down another hill. So I'm, a little afraid of turning on super, super sharp corners because my bike is so small that my, sometimes my feet hit my front wheel. If I'm turning at the 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu same time as I'm pedaling so I actually ran down the first little ramp to the hairpin turn and then got on my bike because I didn't want to crash in the first you know 10 feet so you ran down that and then once you got going then you're going through town for maybe a mile before you head out of town as far as getting out of transition what kind of kit are you using I'm sorry what kind of kit yeah what kind of race kit are you using like my my clothes yeah Oh, I'm I'm on the base team, so I had a base kit. So I had a um like a partial sleeve cycling jersey, so it zipped all the way up, but it went down to my elbows. It was kind of chilly when we got out of the swim, and I was a little worried about being cold. Um, and then I just had my tri shorts for the base kit. Um, I have a Rudy helmet and Gooder sunglasses, and uh, I'm not even sure what kind of cycling shoes they are. They're hot pink. That's all I cared about. They were pink. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you get on the bike ride. How do the first few miles of the bike ride go? Um, the the mile that's in town is great because there's lots of people cheering. You're kind of going through and you go down some streets that are downhills and, and they're pretty, they have, they write the word slow on the road because it's, you go down a hill and then turn a corner and down a hill. Um, but that's kind of fun because you're gaining speed. And then once you get out of town about a mile into the bike course, then you're just climbing. You're climbing up to Keene, which is the big giant hill. So you climb. So the first 10 miles, actually probably eight. The first eight miles are just soul suck. And not only that, but the storm was rolling in, so then the wind was picking up. So you're climbing a hill, and the wind is just gusting. And there's a couple small downhills, um, and at, at that point, the storm had rolled in. Like, I feel like I hit the bike at the worst possible time because the storm rolled in, um, and, and it literally looked like the trees were, like, trying to lay on their side. They were just gusting back and forth. And there were times when I thought my bike was going to fly out from underneath me. It's a good thing I'm a big girl and I weigh a lot. I can't imagine being someone who is, who is thin and tiny because I could barely hold on to my bike going down some of the hills. The crosswinds were just ripping my bike out of me. So by the time I got to the top of Keene, I think my bike average was like 11. And I was, it was pretty, it was pretty rough because at that point I was like, there is no way I'm going to make 112 miles like this. Um, I crusted top of Keene and was ready to go head down Keene. That's when the rain started pouring the rain and people were saying it was hail. It felt like hail. I don't know if it really was because you're going, I think I hit maybe 35 miles an hour going down Keene and that rain hitting my face hurt. It felt like pins hitting my face. Ouch. So it, right when the wind, wind and rain started was going up and down that hill. And as soon as I hit the downhill, it was pouring. When you're not someone who's used to riding hills, going down a giant hill when it's pouring down rain is really scary. <laughs> So I, I was a little terrified of crashing and there were of course people flying by me, um, on their bikes and there were people in front of me going slower that I was trying to get around. And it was, it was pretty terrifying to start the race that way. So, okay. Now were you trying to hit a certain cadence power or nutrition plan? I know you have the F2C that you definitely want to hit, but were you trying to hit a certain strategy for this bike ride? Um, I don't, I don't have any kind of power meter, so I don't use that, um, and I really, because it's not a consistent race, you're going up and down hills and then there's a, a little small area of flat and then up and down some more hills. I don't know that I really understand. I, I get cadence, but I don't know how I was going to make that happen or, or how to watch that while I was on the bike. Um, so for me, it was really just managing the first loop, not being crazy and, and going all out on the first loop because I knew that I was not going to make the second loop if I didn't take care of myself the first loop so my first the first loop idea was just to just to keep it in check and make sure I was okay and and not really go all even on the on the flats but um I don't want to say that blew out the window but when you see 11 miles an hour going up and then you're going down I was really really worried about making the bike cut off so I knew I had to push a little bit where I could just to keep my bike average up um, and so that was kind of my plan, I think, to push where I felt good. And, and we did have, after we got down Keene, some, a flat section, you ride on nine North and that's, it's got some minor rollers, but mostly flat. And so we had a little bit of a tailwind there, which was super nice for me because that tailwind helped me keep going and, and push my pace up a little bit. Okay. Now, how was the quality of the road for this course? 
Um, it is generally really nice. They do a nice job. All of the major sections, like all of the major highways are, are really well paved. And I don't think there was a lot of um, cracks or bad surfaces. I, where I'm from, the roads are really horrible. <laughs> so for me, they were really nice. Um, there were three out and backs on the course. And each of those out and backs are kind of on back roads. Or one of them is into the White Face Mountain Ski Center. Um, and that was really poor they marked everything with orange paint but there were a lot of cracks and there was a lot of debris in the road and then because there were cracks there was water bottles and pieces from bikes laying all over so I actually hit several different things during my entire bike ride because I just when you're going down a hill at 35 miles an hour it's really hard to avoid things um, that are laying in the road and I, I tried but thankfully none of them affected my ride but um, other than the out and backs, the roads were nice. The out and backs were a little dicey in some areas. They were narrow and, and the roads weren't in the best condition. Okay. okay. Now, are you using a road bike or a tri bike for this? I have a tri bike. I have a, a Kestrel Talon tri, which is a really entry road bike. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, really entry tri bike. It's probably one of the cheapest tri bikes you can buy. I, I don't have a lot of money, so I bought that three or four years ago and it's worked out for me. Um, I would like to buy a new bike. I just don't know that it's financially in my future anytime, but it works out well. Okay. Now, whenever you got through the second loop, you're almost done with the second loop of the bike ride. You're about mile 80, 90 or so. Were you hitting any dark places mentally? Um, you know, I really, it's, it wasn't so, I feel like probably, it was probably about mile 80 that I started to look down and I changed my watch over to how much time I had left so that I knew I was going to make the bike cut off. Um, and there were a couple of times I would be riding and I think, gosh, I feel like I've been riding a while and I'd look down and I'd only gone one more mile. And I'm thinking, what? Because I hit 80 and then I looked down and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm only at 81. And then I looked down again and oh my gosh, I'm only at 82. So that section of the course, because you you go down Keene, you ride nine north and then you kind of hit several rollers and then the out and backs. And it really is just a struggle because you're climbing out of Jay and you're climbing out of Wilmington. And it it's pretty, it's pretty daunting to see yourself going so slow up those hills and you have to gain speed on the downhill to make up for your speed going up the hill and I'm not a good climber so there are people passing me on the hill like I'm standing still so it was really hard to watch those last I would say 30 miles tick by um, at that point I was ready to be off the bike Thank thankfully the the rain had stopped so the first loop is when the rain happened for me the second loop it was drying out we had a few periods where we had some showers but it wasn't so bad but the wind never really went away the wind got better the second loop, but it was still gusting in areas um, kind of like swirls around the valleys and mountains. So um, it, those last 30 miles were pretty much a struggle because you were just ticking away mile by mile by mile. And it wasn't going as fast as I would like it to go. So, um, And then the last like four miles of the course are what they call the three bears, but they've also added Goldilocks, the three bears. And then there's one called Ray Ray bear, which I have no idea what Ray Ray bear is supposed to refer to, but you basically are going up a hill and then you turn a corner and you go up another hill and then you turn a corner and you go up another hill. So, and they're all just, you really just have to keep grinding. And I remember thinking on the first loop, there's no way I'm going to be able to make these hills without walking because I've walked lots of hills before. I'm not, sometimes I can walk faster than I can ride. So, um, I was, super proud of myself that by the time I hit those three bears on the second loop that I managed to make it up all of them without walking my bike. So I didn't have to walk my bike at all. And that was a big, huge achievement for me because I'm not a hill rider. Um, I, I know during the first loop, I thought there's no way. <laughs> so I was, I was happy that I had saved enough energy to make it up those hills. Good. Now the last mile or two on the bike ride, how was that for you? Um, the last mile or two, like once you get past the bears, um, you are coming back into town and the town is so busy with people. The last mile or two is in town and you're kind of going around corners and flying through town. And that's super exciting because all the people um, are cheering for you and, and you just kind of go fast. And, and I, at that point, I knew I was going to make the bike cut off. So I was happy about that. And I was just trying to bank as much time as I could to get off my bike and, and to get the run in. Okay. Now you get to T2. Did you get to a place where you kind of mentally knew where you were in the race as far as time goes? Um, yeah, I actually print out little sheets with um, all of my times on it, my expected times. And I also print out a sheet that says, if you have this much time left for the run, you have to run this pace to make it by your 17 hours. If you finish with this much time left, you and so I have it all mapped out and I had a little baggie in my shirt. So that was the first thing I looked at um, when I got to T2. Well, after I got out of T2, I knew exactly how fast I had to run to make the cutoff. 
Okay. How much time did you have? Two and a half hours. Okay. To whip a marathon, you had six and a half hours. Yes. Okay. Now, you get out on the run course. How was the first mile or two on the run? Um, The first mile was great because there's all these people cheering. Everyone's happy. I felt good. I mean, I feel like when you get off the bike, you always feel good. Your legs, you can't really tell how fast you're going. Um, So the first mile, not maybe not even a mile, first three quarters of a mile, I felt great. Um, I stopped at a porta potty and then that's where everything went downhill. I started getting dizzy and, um, I just, I was pretty out of it. So I, it was weird cause it was kind of like a transition and I don't know if it's my body, like coming off the bike, it just took a while to transition over, but it, my euphoria only lasted about three quarters of a mile and then it was gone. <laughs> okay. Now, were you walking out of transition or were you running? I ran out of transition. Okay. Now, after that three quarters of a mile of running, you are going basically downhills at this point, right? Um, some, yeah. I mean, you kind of hit a downhill towards, I'm trying to think, you're going towards the ski slopes, um, and then it flattens out a little bit, and then you hit some hills at that point. Okay. Now, you get, I mean, I think this is like a big smiley face, right? And you start on the left side, and then you go down, and yes. then you come down. How was all of that the first time going through? Um, You know, I really don't remember a lot of my run. I, after the first three quarters of a mile, I was starting dizzy. I couldn't really concentrate. I, I really am not sure what happened. I, they, they think I was very dehydrated. I thought I drank a lot on the bike, so I don't feel like I was super dehydrated. Um, but the run was pretty much a blur to me. I don't remember a whole lot of it. I just know that, um, at first I was watching my watch thinking, okay, I can keep this pace. And then it kept getting slower. And then I was making deals with myself, Um, if I run for this long and keep my pace under this, I can walk for, you know, a minute and it, it really only lasted a couple of minutes before I was pretty out of it. I, I remember people saying to me or just, they just kept asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I couldn't figure out why everyone was asking me if I was okay, but I must've not looked okay. Um, because I really don't remember a whole lot of the run. Um, I made it about 12.9 miles (laughs) before I didn't make it anymore. So, um, and I don't remember any of those 12 miles. I really don't remember really? where I passed. I don't remember a whole lot of that. Um, at 12.9 miles, I remember a, a, a woman asking me if I was okay. And I turned and looked at her. And the next thing I know, I said, I'm going to pass out. And I sat down on the ground and, and, and passed out. So um, I, I don't remember a lot of the run. And I really think I probably could have passed out a lot earlier. But it was just kind of one of those things where you just keep going. Um, but I was walking the whole time. And I, I couldn't get my body to run no matter what I tried. So... Wow. Now, with passing out like that, were you in a state of mind of wanting to keep moving forward, or were you just like, I'm completely done? What was that like? You know, at first, they, the when they called medical over, the first medical person asked, told me that they just needed to check me out, because I, I pass out pretty frequently. It's always kind of been a thing in my life. Like, I, I have a low blood pressure to begin with, um, so if I feel pain or feel pain see someone in pain sometimes I pass out so it's pretty typical for me not I've never passed out in a race before but um I'm pretty used to it so once I come back around or once I think I'm okay then generally I can get up and and I'm fine so when I talked to the medical person they were like well they thought my my resting heart rate was really high so they wanted me to sit there for a few minutes but they told me that if I got up and felt okay that I could keep going and at that point I was like well okay but I still don't think I'm going to make the cutoff because I had looked at my watch and I knew based on how much I had been walking for 12 miles that I probably wasn't going to make the finish line in time. Um, so, you know, I, I really wasn't ready to hand in my chip. It was kind of one of those things where I was going to walk until they pulled me um, and, and they were going to let me at that point. Um, and so they had some guys with a medical truck come over and evaluate me, took my blood pressure and things like that. And they stood me up, sat me on the back of their truck and talked to me. And at that point I was was perfectly fine. I felt good. I was talking to them. I gave them my address and all sorts of things that they needed. And then all of a sudden the world went black again. (laughs) So at that point I passed out off the back of his truck and he tried to catch me. And I think he caught me because I remember feeling like he caught me, but I know I hit the ground and I I have a bruise on my face from hitting the ground and a scrape of my nose and, and all sorts of stuff. And the next thing I know, I woke up laying on my back on the road. And at that point, they had already pulled my chip and told me I was done. So <laughs> um, he said when I hit my head that he thinks I had a seizure. I started shaking and was staring off in the distance, and they couldn't get me to talk to them for a couple minutes. So um, they pulled my chip. They weren't going to let me keep going at that point. I, I wouldn't have made the cutoff, I think, even before all that happened. 
Um, but they weren't going to let me go at that point anyway. So I, I was done at that point. And mentally at that point I was done because I didn't, I couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't function at that point. So. Okay. I mean, I hate to hear that your day ended so abruptly and with not much memory of that experience, but how was that for you looking back on it? I mean, it's pretty disheartening. I don't ever like to give up. I'm not, I'm not someone who gives up. I, I really don't, you know, I don't care. I was the last finisher at Michigan Titanium when I did that race. So um, it really doesn't bother me to be the last finisher. I didn't, I didn't really want to miss the cutoff. I was bargaining with myself on figuring out how I could not miss the cutoff before that point. Um, but I think I wanted to finish, but I still feel like there were a lot of successes in my race. I mean, weight class is challenging and it's super challenging for someone who's not the hills. So, you know, I don't, I don't look at it as I had a horrible day. I had a good day up until that point, um, up at, at least up until the run. I feel like I, I conquered some demons on the bike that I wasn't prepared for, that I didn't think I was going to be prepared for. Um, my swim was great. So it wasn't like a complete failure. It's just disheartening and disappointing. And I think I was most disappointed that I was disappointing my children. I don't want my children to ever think I quit something. I didn't choose to quit, but I, it wasn't in my cards for that day. Okay. Now, how was your recovery process? Um, the worst part is, is we had to drive home the next day. So really, um, so y'all didn't stick yeah. around the next day at all. No, we, we went, um, picked up our special needs bags, packed up the cars and we were headed out of town by about nine 30 or 10 o'clock. So wow. I got home around nine 30 last night to my house. So it, it was a full day on the road. Um, I woke up with a major headache. I woke up dizzy. I couldn't eat. I don't, I don't think I ate very much yesterday at all trying to drive home after food. But every time I ate food, it made me sick. So it took me a little while to get around. Um, and I actually learned that I could drive better than I could sitting in the passenger seat. Cause when I sat in the passenger seat, I wasn't in control of the motion of the car and that made me more nauseous than driving. So I ended up driving a good portion of the ride, um, myself, which I, I was a little scared to do. So, um, I woke up this morning with more headache, more dizziness. Um, but I'm able to eat finally and I feel better about eating and rehydrating and, I really, you know, I'm not really sure specifically what it was, but um, I'm working on feeling better. Of course, everyone thinks that I should go to the doctor and get checked out. And I really think I'm okay. I pass out easily. So I'm sure it was probably just a combination of being exhausted and nutrition and hydration. And Okay. Now, looking back on it, how well prepared for this race do you think you were? Um, I mean, I feel like I was prepared as I could be with where I lived. I don't know that taking on Lake Placid is something that Flatlanders should take lightly. <laughs> um, it's hard to train for a hilly race when you don't have hills. Like our only hill is our turnpike overpass. So the only way I can get a hill within two hour drive of here is by going up and over my turnpike overpass. Um, and that's not, that's not the same as Lake Placid. It's not even close to the same as Lake Placid. So to train for something that you don't have available to you is, is pretty hard. Now I have um, like a smart trainer for my bike and I can ride the course on that, but it's just not the same. It literally is just not the same when you can't have wind, you can't have rain, you can't have, you know, all of the conditions of race day. I can ride a trainer for hours. In fact, I rode the trainer for hours because our, our winter didn't break until probably like June 1st around here. So I was on the trainer for a lot of those miles and it just doesn't prepare you mentally or physically for, for that kind of race. So picking Lake Placid for someone who's a flatlander is, is something people should not take lately. Um, I don't know if I'll ever go back to Lake Placid. I might someday, maybe if I lose some weight, because I really feel like weight's a factor, um, to haul yourself up those hills, you know, it's, it's hard when you're a bigger person. Um, and I would probably need to have the time available to take drives to places where you can get some hills. There's, there's a couple places, probably about two, two and a half hours North of where I live that you can ride hills that are more similar to Lake Placid, but I just didn't have time to do that with three kids and jobs and, you know, that it just wasn't available to me. So I wish I would have um, taken the time to do those hills, you know, or, or chosen a different race, I guess, if I wasn't able to ride them. Because I, I don't don't think I really understood <laughs> the difficulty of Lake Plus. I knew it was going to be difficult, and I knew I'd be chasing the, the, the cutoffs, but I, you know, you still kind of underestimate what you need to do to prepare when you don't know what it is you're preparing for. Right. Now, what's something that you learned about this race that you'd like to pass on to someone who hasn't done this race before? Um, I think just not to underestimate what you're really 
training for. Even when we rode the bike course, it doesn't look as horrible as it really is just because even though you're not necessarily climbing a hill, a lot of it is still false flat. So you're still climbing, even though it doesn't look like you're climbing. Um, and it really is just a, a long day out there and, and those hills really wear on you. Um, I wish I would have done more strength training. I think that would have helped. I wish I would have actually focused on my diet and lost the weight I wanted to lose because I think that would have helped. It really is just one of those things where if you're going to take it on as a challenge, you have to do everything you can to get yourself there. I'm not so sure I did everything I should have done um, in hindsight, but I felt prepared for it. I felt like I worked on the physical aspect. I'm not so sure I was prepared mentally for all of it. Okay. What things could you have done in training if you had 20 weeks to prepare for this race again? What would you change in training? Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not very knowledgeable about training for hills and things like that. I mean, I, what, you know, I, Maryland's, Maryland's Ironman is a, a wonderful race for me because it's all flat and that's what I train for. I can ride flat and flats with wind for hours and hours and hours. I can grind that out and I usually keep a low cadence. So I feel like I wish I would have worked on my cadence a little bit more because I think cadence is a big aspect of climbing hills. I also wish I would understand more about hill training I mean, my coach did a great job of trying to prepare me for that, but it's just one of those things where I really don't know how to ride a hill. <laughs> I don't know how to gear for a hill. I don't know how to, I'm not very knowledgeable about that stuff. Um, I hop on my bike and ride for hours, but it's on flats and you don't really have to change. I mean, I could ride for five hours and not change my gears around here. <laughs> That's how simple it is to ride around here. Um, I wish I had more bike skills. I, you know, I, I just feel like those are the areas that I really need to learn more about and it's not necessarily physically doing it as much as learning about it and understanding how it really all works. That makes sense. For first timers that are doing this race, what advice would you give them? Um, like first time Ironman or mm-hmm. first time doing Lake Placid? Um, you know, I, I really want people to understand that they need to pick a race that they feel plays to their strengths I chose the race because it challenged me and that's okay. And I think picking a race because it challenges you is fine as long as you are ready to handle um, what it takes to get there. Um, But I really feel like people should only pick this race if they feel like it plays to their strengths or that they're prepared to prepare for it. Um, I I, I have a hard time thinking that I would ever choose like Placid as my first. So I was amazed at how many first timers were really truly there. Um, And maybe those people live in hillier areas (laughs) than me. Um, But you know, I think if they're going to do like classic, they really need to understand the intricacies of, of how the bike course and the run course work, um, the hills and, and know that they can practice in those areas or have the availability to practice in, in hilly areas. That makes sense. How could Ironman have made your race experience better? Wow. That's such a question. <laughs> um, you know, Ironman, they, they do a good job, but everything is always about making money. So, you know, I don't know that the, any portion of it was bad the volunteers were all wonderful they all knew what they were doing i feel like they did a great job of of making sure that everything was well laid out and well organized um you know i i don't know that there's anything i would tell them to do differently about lake placid i think that they do a great job with it i don't really like um not that it impacted me but i don't really like how they have multiple different cutoffs for the bike like they have a you have to make the last stage station by five o'clock you have to make the transition by 530 but they also have a 10 and a half hour limit for the swim and the transition one in bike so all that together so you're kind of chasing several different cutoffs um, and I wish they would just choose one and focus on it because I think that's a little stressful for people um, it seemed like they had all sorts of different rules about you know what you had to make and where you had to make and it really wasn't as consistent as it should be with other races none of that impacted me but it was still stressful worrying about you know the 10 and a half hours and the and the making the transition by 5.30 and the aid station by 5. And, you know, it, it really also pushes, I think, some people into starting the swim earlier than they need to because if they can swim, bank time, and then bike slowly, like I do, they can still make their 10.30 cutoff or they can make the 5.30 cutoff at transition. So I think there are some people that probably started early in the swim, earlier than they should have, so that they could beat that 5 or 5.30 cutoff because you had more time because it took probably 20, 25 minutes to get everyone in the water, you know? So some of those people started earlier so they could make that five or five thirty cutoff because it's a, a time of day cutoff versus a actual time that someone was riding and swimming. Right. And that would make sense. And 
with this rolling start that Iron Man is doing now, you can't really base it off of the midnight finishing anymore. You can right. still finish before midnight and still DNF because of the yep. time. Yes. Yeah. Like that makes no sense to me. I mean, with the mm -hmm. mass start, everybody starts at the same time. And as long as you get there before midnight, you're good. Right. Yep. So I completely agree with the cutoffs like that. Now, we covered a lot. Do you have anything else to add about your race? Um, I don't think so. I, you know, I really just, I, I'm disappointed and upset with myself, but I still feel like it was, it was a good experience for me. You know, I, I, I enjoyed being up at Lake Placid. I enjoyed seeing it. It's a beautiful venue. It's a beautiful course. And I don't want to scare anyone away from it. You know, it wasn't the experience that I, I wanted, but it was kind of the experience I expected, you know, even if I could have kept going on the run course and if I could have kept my pace, I, I might've finished. So it kind of, everything fell into where I thought it would fall into. I didn't expect that my bike was going to be super fast. So I don't want anyone to hear what I'm saying and go, Oh my gosh, I can't do Lake Placid. But you know, it's just kind of like a cautionary tale that you, you really had to be prepared to, to do that type of course. You know, I don't, I don't think preparing for every Ironman is the same. I, I would prepare totally different for Ironman Maryland than I would for Ironman Lake Placid. And right. you know, I don't want to say that Ironman Lake Ironman Maryland is easy. It's easier for me, you know, to go to Maryland and ride the way I ride every single day and, and run the way I run every single day. Um, and for someone who doesn't have flats with wind, it's a totally different story. So I think you just have to focus on, you know, the difference between where you have, to train and where you're planning to go and, and concentrate on and whether that's a good matching. And if it's not, then how are you going to accommodate that in your training? Because I think that that's what I really needed to do better on. Um, my coach did a great job. I don't want anyone to think that it wasn't him because he did a great job trying to accommodate all of that, but it, it's really, it's just not real life experience for me to be able to ride on Lake Placid Hills and, and to do that. And, you know, I, I think that there are things I could have done to make it easier on myself, but I just didn't and I couldn't and, and I'll try another day. It's another race and you know, I have Maryland in eight weeks and it'll be, it'll be a good day for me, I think. And I, I'm not nearly as nervous going into that as I was Lake Placid because I knew the conditions were going to be totally different. Right. Now, as far as everything moving forward, I know you're doing Maryland next. What else is on your list? Um, you know, for this year, I don't have a whole lot. I try soccer season for my children starts up here in a couple of weeks. Um, and so I don't have a lot of triathlons on my, on my schedule anymore for this season. I really focused on, on two big ones. Plus financially two Ironmans is really expensive. Right. <laughs> so I didn't sign up for a whole lot yet this year. And I, next year I probably will scale back a little. I don't think I want to sign up for a full next year unless race envy gets to me and one of my friends is doing something I want to do. Um, so I don't think I'm going to sign up for a full next year. I'm going to focus on halves and maybe, um, focus on my diet and the things that I wish I would have focused on this year. It just gets away from you. And when, when you're training for a full, there's just so much to do and so little time to do it. I do plan to go to Louisville this year to cheer. I have a whole bunch of friends that are doing Louisville this year. So as long as I don't fall in love with Louisville and sign up for that, <laughs> I'll be all right. But generally that's what happens. I go somewhere and I get excited about it. And it's kind of like, you know, childbirth, you forget what happened and then you just sign up. So I'm hoping I don't, I don't do that. So I'm going to go cheer and, and be happy to support people. And they all have come to support me at different races. So it's my turn to support them. So Maryland and then sign, uh, cheering at Louisville. And then I'm going to take a break for a while, I think. So Okay. So as far as races that are on your bucket list, what all do you have on your bucket list? Oh, that's really hard because there's some on my bucket list that I, that are very similar to Lake Placid. And I don't think I really want to take them on, but I would love to do Mount Tremblant. I know it's beautiful up there. I've heard it's beautiful. And, and I haven't done a lot of traveling in my life. And that's kind of why I signed up for Placid because I've, I've never been in the mountains before. That was the first time I've ever been in the mountains. So I'd love to go to Tremblant because I heard it's beautiful. I had a friend that did it um, and loved it. I'm just not so sure I'm prepared for the hills of Mount Tremblant yet. Um, the problem with Mount Tremblant is it's always the weekend right before we start school and I can't take those days off work. So um, my work schedule really dictates what races I can do because I, I don't have a lot of time to take off. Um, so I, other than Mount Tremblant, Louisville has always been on my list. Again, it's a little harder than Chattanooga, but I think I could still manage the hills there. I don't know that I'm ready for doing any of that yet. So I, I don't know. You know, for a while I thought, oh, I'm just going to keep doing Ironmans until I hit this year. And life has kind of gotten in the way. 
kids have made comments that made me feel like I'm not being the mother I'd like to be. So I'd like to take more time for them. When your kids say, when are you ever going to be home? You never stay home anymore. You kind of get that feeling like, Hey, you know, it's time to focus on family. So I think next year doing some halves is probably a better idea for me. I don't have to take seven hour training days on the weekends and, and try to fit in soccer games and everything else with my schedule. And that's gotta be hard as a mom to hear those things. It is. And you know what? It's frustrating because I feel like, and and not to be sexist, but I feel like sometimes the males aren't expected to be there for their kids as much. And my husband doesn't do triathlons. He's not athletic. He's not, you know, he has his own um, hobbies and things like that. But I feel like as a female triathlete, I get it a lot more than a male triathlete would get it from their children just because I've always been like, I'm the one that takes them to every school activity. I'm the one that takes them to every practice. I'm the one that takes them to every game. Like I am the parent who is always with them just because of necessity and, and where I work. And obviously I know their school cause I work there and, you know, so I'm kind of in charge of all of that. And I don't think if my husband was in my place that he would get that same comment from them. Um, and I do take a lot of time away from it and I, and I can't say it's all triathlons. I mean, my work schedule is pretty crazy and, and my after school program that I, that I run, I mean, those kids are like my real kids too. I love those kids just as much. And so I spend a lot of time with my after school kids too, that are not my biological children, but our kids I really truly care about. Um, and my kids see that. And so they know that that's time I take away from them as well. So instead of going home after work, I'm, I'm working with teenagers for another two and a half hours and, and not spending time with them. So you know, I really just need to take time to focus on them. They're only kids once and they're going to grow up fast and I'm going to miss it. And I don't want to miss it all. So that makes sense. Well, Michelle, I only have one more question for you. And that's what's your definition of a perfect race? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a big question too. Um, I guess my definition of a perfect race would be if everything came together all at once at Lake Placid, I had the most fantastic swim I've ever had. Um, aside from it being crazy. So that was great. You know, I had a lot of successes on the bike. I don't think my bike was a failure. Um, had I been able to continue the run and finish the race, that would have been a perfect race for me. If they all three come together the way you expect them to, then that's a perfect race. My bike didn't need to be fast for it to be perfect. It just needed to be within my expectations. And my bike really was within my expectations. That's where I knew my ability level was. So if, if I could race all three disciplines within my ability level, that would be a perfect race for me. I'm never going to be a 12 hour finisher or a 13 hour finisher. And I'm okay with that. So my perfect race is really just having all three disciplines within my ability level and, and finishing the race with a smile on my face, because that's really what it's about. Okay. Well, Michelle, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for ha having me. You're welcome. Well, you have a good day and we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, bye. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you were able to learn something from today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see pictures from this athlete's race, learn more about who I am, what I'm doing, or be on the show yourself to share your story, check out my website at CoachTerryWilson.com. Until next time, continue the pursuit.